welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and today we are the voice of high-tech rednecks because my guest has literally just blown my mind. I've got none other than Peterson's Bowhunting field editor, Eddie Claypool, on the line, and Eddie... I cannot believe what you just told me. You are doing this interview with your new iPhone. You've gotten rid of your flip phone on the very verge of 2020, my friend. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I hope it doesn't melt me down trying to figure this high-tech instrument out. Now, I'm not kidding you, man. You were like the only guy that I knew that still had a flip phone, and now... It's been retired. What prompted this major shift in uh, Captain Claypool's arsenal here of high-tech outdoor tools? Well, I just got tired of fighting that flip phone. It was definitely getting to be a pain in the rear end. And, and so I, I started practicing on the wife's iPhone for a few months and learning it a little bit and realized that... Just like everybody had told me forever, it's not rocket science. So here I am in the in the new uh, high tech realm of communication. And did you actually get yourself a brand new iPhone, one of the latest and greatest, or did you buy some old used used one? I bought an old used one. It's an iPhone six, and uh, she got a new one. I got her the eleven. Oh my goodness, so Peggy is like rolling with super high tech. She ought to be probably hunting yeah. you on. She's going to get all the apps, the hunting apps on that and stuff, and she'll be hunting you under the table here next season. Yeah, I'm, that's my next obstacle is getting apps on this thing and learning how to use them properly when I'm out in the field because Onyx is definitely something I've, I've been wanting to have. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good one. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Just uh, one of the latest podcasts that I had recorded was uh, with the guy from Hunt Stand, which is a cool app, too. You ought to download that one and check it out as well. Uh, but you're going to find I that. Will. Yeah, you're going to find that there's a whole lot of tools and information at your fingertips. All that stuff that you used to just sit down at your computer to do, you're going to be able to do a lot of that stuff right in the field, which is handy. You know, to be able to do it while you're actually on the ground. Absolutely. I, uh, of course, I'm old school and I come from the generation where none of this high tech stuff was available, such as Google Earth. And, you know, I mean, I'm even actually pre trail camera and uh, definitely pre, you know, I remember plainly when I didn't even have a cell phone through the strong years of my life, I was always stopping everywhere making calls home on a payphone with a calling card, you know, so, but you know, these new, a lot of this new technology can certainly shorten, you know, your learning curve and be very helpful. And so I got to get up to par, uh, when I combine it with my old wood savvy, it's, I'm hoping that maybe I'll step my hunting level up one more notch. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Well, it's going to be hard to do considering the level you're at, but you know, truthfully, I didn't I didn't really plan out this podcast to talk about high-tech stuff, but when you mentioned that right sure. right right before we started, I couldn't resist having a little bit of fun with that because you know, for those who are listening, if you've been a a longtime reader of Peterson's Bowhunting, you know that Eddie Claypool's about as old school as they come and Man, just the fact that his flip flown has has been somewhat infamous in our offices here for years because he would send me pictures of like his flip phone in a in an animal track, you know, or something like that to show the size and scale. And I'm just like, yeah, old Claypool, Claypool's still rocking the flip phone. <laughs> and I I, I I saw I saw a meme on Facebook the other day. It said. 
it said, I told my kids I was older than Google, and it said they thought I was kidding. <laughs> and, uh, no you know, yeah. that's like yeah. what you just said. We are. We're older than Google, man. These kids nowadays yeah. don't even, they don't understand. They think that Google was always around. You know, all we had to do was Google up where a big buck was, and we'd be, we'd be in, in business, you know? Yeah, exactly. I there's a generation that's the new ones getting of age now and taking over that have never not known what it was like to have all this stuff. And uh, I got to realize that they can't get a real grip on a different outlook, you know, and, uh, but they're going to, they're going to have a shortcut to getting good for sure. This stuff helps and all the high tech equipment to go with your archery on the archery end of it. You just name it all. It's I've watched it evolve for, you know, 45 years and, uh, but it doesn't hurt to have the old wood savvy still get out there and put a boot to the ground. That's my, that's my, uh, savior because I just always being a DIY guy have just been able to shortcut, you know, the success formula by just time and effort, you know? And so I still want to do that. I don't want to get too lazy to just sit on the computer all night and scout everything from Google. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they say that it's not polite to ask a lady her age, but since neither one of us are ladies, uh, is it okay for yeah. me to talk about how old you are? 100% fine with me. Uh, I'm 61. Just turned it last month on the 18th of November. I turned 61. And you had said in recent years, you know, you haven't mentioned it quite as much uh, lately, but for a while there in a lot of your features, you were, you know, in, in, in a lot of the conversations that you and I had had personally, because, you know, we talk fairly regularly, Eddie, and, and I always enjoy our yeah. conversations. And you had, you had complained for quite a while there about how you had gone through a, a pretty bad case of menopause. Um, is that yep. process over now, or are you still getting hot flashes, or is the menopause kind of like in the past rearview mirror? <laughs> I think I'm getting out onto the back end of it. Uh, I did it without synthetic, you know, help. I just did it all natural. Um, the results aren't exactly pleasant, but... I've I've maintained the natural approach. I'm I'm kind of get I don't I just have minor hot flashes once in a while now, but you know I'm telling you your mental and your physical state does change a lot when you finally kind of roll over that you know old age uh, point and uh, but you adapt you you just change in other ways and. If you've got a passion for bow hunting, you're not going to let any certain thing get the best of you. You're going to find a way to get around every obstacle. And I'm kind of getting around the old age obstacle, I hope. If the good Lord keeps me healthy, I'm going to keep keep uh, laying a few of them to rest if I can. Well, I tell you what, you're still having, you know, more than your fair share of success in the field. You just uh, You just sent me a picture... Oh, I don't know if it was last last week. I think you you killed a a beautiful whitetail buck there on public land in Nebraska. So you're still getting it done, and uh, you know, like old Toby Keith said, you might not be as good as you once was, but you're as good once as you ever was. And so you can you can <laughs> you can you can still get out there and you can pick your spots and and keep up with them young guns because of course you know things change here as well and and we're always looking for for new you know young talent and I can think of a couple of younger guys like Clint Casper and Bo Martonic who have been doing you know a, a fair bit of writing for me the last you know year or two and and these guys are probably yeah. like like the the young eddie claypools you know they just can't wait to drop everything and head out to colorado or utah and get into the back country for you know a week or two and 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 see how far they can push their limits and and of course you've been there and done that and now you're on the other side and then and then there's guys like me who who are in the middle because i'm 46 and i i tell those yeah. guys even now i'm like you guys just enjoy it while you're in your 20s and 30s because 
there's going to come a day when you're 46 that you're not really going to be that interested in sleeping on the ground in a rainstorm and you know 10 miles from the trailhead or whatever and that's just not going to be as appealing to you as it once was um so we probably have people who will listen to this episode who are in all three camps, right? The younger guys, the the middle aged guys, and the right. guys the guys who are closer to to the end than they are to the beginning. And that's a nice way of me telling you that you're you're getting to be old as dirt, man. I mean, it's it's bad. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm glad that you still that you still let me represent the older readership a little bit. And uh, there's. There's a lot of us out there, I'm sure, and uh, you got to appeal to all demographics if you want to, you know, have a good, strong readership. So I'm glad you let me represent us golden age guys. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that new line of supplements that you have coming out is going to be a big hit for the, you know, it's going to be those geriatric. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be, what are you going to call it? It's, it's going to be the, the wilderness athlete silver line, right? Yeah, geriatric <laughs> bow hunting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, oh, I, uh, I I guarantee you, I I'm popping supplements and pills plenty of nowadays, and I you know it's funny. I every bit of everything you you eat a lot of crow when you get older because you run your mouth a lot when you're young and a punk and you know full of testosterone, and then later on in life you have to eat a lot of that. But it's humbling. But I I keep. I keep moving forward and uh, I'm blessed and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stay at it. I'll, I was born and bred a bow hunter. I'll be a dead bow hunter. Well, and all, all joking aside, Eddie, you are, you know, you are certainly, um, you know, one of the, the handful of bow hunters uh, who are, you know, around today that I respect the most and when it comes to straight flat out DIY public land bow hunting I would not uh, put anybody above you Um, there may be others who are um, you know as successful or nearly as successful but I don't know anybody who's been as successful as you for as long as you. And with age comes wisdom, you know. And so while it's yeah. fun, yeah. while it's fun to, you know, make the jokes about the supplements and the menopause and all that, the truth is, uh, you can, you can get by with a, a lot of hunting smarter. Whereas other guys hunt harder and hang right with them. And I mean, hey, that's a, a parallel that we see on the athletic fields all the time, right? I mean, you can have some old old gunslinger like Drew Brees, who's been doing this for almost 20 years in the NFL. And he's he's still doing it because he knows yeah. <laughs> how to get the job done. Yeah, and it, exactly. it's, it's not his first rodeo, you know, and he, he's setting, I mean, yeah. he, got, he was 29 for 30 on Monday night football yeah. this past week. I think he 29 for 30. He had one incompletion the whole game, four touchdowns. And that's no different than Eddie Claypool going out into the wilderness of Colorado <laughs> and shooting a 350 inch bull. Well, I have quite a few incompletions in my day's work, but uh, if I if I average fifty percent, I'm I'm counting my blessings. But I got a lot more time than I have a lot more time than most people, so it all works out. It's a you know the the road to success filling tags is just it's like a pie that's split into about twelve sections. You got to kind of get all the pieces and put it together, or you don't have a pie. You got a hole in it and you know, you just get smarter as you spend 30, 40 years doing it. And, and with, like we talked earlier with all the new ways to help yourself nowadays, the high tech approaches, um, a guy can be a really good bow hunter, but the one ingredient you can you got to have to begin with is that passion because that passion will drive just, that's what drives those sports stars to the highest levels. They love what they're doing and they do it for free probably. But, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just no bow hunting nut, uh, have been since I was young and, uh, I've, I'm mellowed out a little bit now, but I'm still at the game and loving it and enjoying it. And I'm, I use it as my method to get out in nature 
and uh, the day's probably coming when I'll just take a camera one day and go and uh, lay the old bow down and let the animal. I've, I've wreaked a lot of havoc in my days. PETA doesn't probably care for me too much, but anyway, that's Claypool for you. You're not on their Christmas card list, Eddie? I thought they'd send you a nice no. a nice gift basket of organic dried fruit and nuts or something like that. Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm definitely a person eating tasty animals for sure, but I'm not on their um, political, uh, I'm on their political hit list probably. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Eddie. What would, uh-huh. if you could go back in time, and and 61-year-old Eddie Claypool could talk to 21-year-old Eddie Claypool. What would you tell that rascal? Well, probably the greatest thing I could have done back when I had the extreme uh, overpowering passion and physical virility, you know, to do it would have been to not be as narrow-minded in my focus. Um, I spent the strongest 20 years of my life, very narrow in my scope. And I wished I had broadened it out and, um, you know, looked a little farther down the road. Um, I waited till I was later in life to really expand out into a lot of new places. And um, I would like to have been hunting, you know, more different types of habitat and more different uh, animals when I was younger. That's what I would tell myself back then. Uh, to broaden my scope, in other words, a little bit earlier in life. Yeah, so what were you doing back in those days? Pretty much just whitetails and uh, mule deer and elk or what? Yeah, yeah. well, I've been an elk, literally. Elk is what has driven my low hunting life. Even though I'm a whitetailer, I I was born and bred and raised in whitetail country, and it's the first thing I harvested in the way of hoofed game. And I've, I've been passionate about whitetail, but it's elk that I, I just went psychotic over it back in the early 80s when I first hunted them. And I spent the next 20 years, my entire bow hunting life revolved around elk. And that was good. It served its purpose, but I should have been a lot broader minded because I was walking by world class opportunity back in them days that will never be there again for the average do it yourselfer. I walked by world-class pronghorn, world-class mule deer. Um, I, I wasn't pursuing readily available tags for sheep, goat, and moose. Um, there was just so much opportunity I didn't have in my scope back then that could have been, but I was so focused on elk, 365, I ate, slept, lived, and breathed elk. And uh, I've laid a lot of them to rest but um you know as i got a little older i realized you know that 90 inch pronghorn that i wouldn't even walk across the street for or that 190 inch mule deer that i wouldn't even go across the basin and hunt because i was too focused on a five by five bull uh, or maybe a boone and crockett black bear that i could have killed if i would have you know not wanted to interrupt an elk hunt to skin it you know, things like that. I, I just should have broadened my scope a little bit when I was younger. Well, you can't cry over spilled milk, but I'd say that could no. help. That could help other guys. But like you said, a lot of those tags that you may have gotten fairly easily back in those days are going to almost be impossible to draw today. And well, that's one of the things that's just changed an awful lot in the last twenty to thirty years, isn't it? With just the whole oh. ra- the whole rat race for Western big game tags is just almost unbelievable. Yeah, it, I, I'm going to, you know, just go with maybe from what I re- I enjoyed through the 80s and 90s compared to now. I'm going to say that, you know, half to three fourths or better of the opportunity that was just across the counter or you know, available every year out west on elk, mule deer, and even pronghorn has has dissipated. Um, we're, it's down to a very narrow scope now if you're a do-it-yourself guy and you're looking to just go drive out west and hunt elk, you know, on public land with an uh, over-the-counter tag. When back then, that was the general rule. There were not that many 
limited permit hunts back then. You could access about anything. I got into the Gila of Southwest New Mexico every year for 10 or 12 years back then. And now I can't get in it once in 10 or 12 years. So times changed. Well, that's for sure. Um, And in some ways, things are better, you know, and in other ways, maybe they're they're worse. Uh, Certainly. Excuse me, I had to mute my mic there for a second. I had to cough. Um, Sure. In terms of trophy quality, I mean, I would say that there are as many or more gigantic specimens being taken than than there ever were, at least that, that as far yeah. as I can tell. But the accessibility of those, I guess, for the average bow hunter is, is, is not, you know, necessarily there because right. it, takes, it takes a lot of time or a lot of money or, or both. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, back in those days, the bow hunters, even the high, high end ones, just you could say compared to today, they weren't with the program on really accessing and acquiring the resource. I mean, there are certain cases where now the resource is a little better now. There's probably some bigger trophies in certain spots but as a whole 30 years ago there was unlimited huge deer elk and antelope out west compared to now it the the resource was way greater back then but but we just didn't know how to access it or have the you know the knowledge to access it or that you know we didn't have it dangled in front of our face nowadays the reason why you're seeing so much more top end stuff killed is because it's right there for everybody to find out how where it's at how to get to it and how to kill it and people have a lot more time and money now and and everything you know there's a there's more bow hunters there's way more bow hunters nowadays so on a on a proportion basis they're killing way more big stuff right now than they were back then but it's just the progression of the bow hunter and the bow hunting world uh, i think the animals were the top end animals were there and in larger quantity back then but we just we didn't access them we didn't know what we had we were you know there were a few guys like chuck adams and them back in them days that were reaping you know skimming the cream off the top but i just my scope was awful small then and uh now that I've gotten older and branched out and everything's at my fingertips, uh, I do better. I do. I kill larger and more now. But, uh, boy, did I ever sure enough walk by a, a passel of giant stuff back in the old days just out of ignorance. Well, one thing that you you kind of touched on there, which is absolutely mm-hmm. true, is it's not very easy to keep a secret in the bow hunting community anymore or, you know, an area, an area or a, a species or an opportunity. I mean, with the with the Internet and social media, good luck trying to keep much under your hat. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a major thing nowadays. I just talked to a game and fish biologist here in my home state last week that was just literally, and I'm talking about a guy that works for our fishing game, was singing the blues about social media and Facebook and everything and, the, you know, the Internet, because he said it's just it's just running the RWMA here. He said, we've had a few people come in here and, and harvest some good stuff, and they go back and put it on Facebook, and then the next year, you know, those five guys turn into 50, and he said it, it's, it's just raping and pillaging the resource, and... Uh, I said, oh, yeah, I know how that is. There, I mean, there's not going to be, there are not any secrets left in North America anymore. Back when I was in my heyday, there were secret spots everywhere that nobody but you could go. You, you, you could go find them, and there would be virtually nobody but you would know them. And uh, it, there are no secrets left nowadays. They're all out in the open for everybody to see and partake in. Well, that's... That's not a hundred percent true, though, is it, Eddie? Because you still no, no, no. You no, you you still no. though, because I know you and Peggy go on your road trips, and you know right. I know there's places. I'll just give you four examples. You know, 
yeah. in yeah. in um, like in Montana and South Dakota and Nebraska on some of your turkey hunts. And I know like in right. Nebraska on some of your whitetail hunts, obviously, I don't know exactly where in those states you are, but... But I know that right. there are there are places out there where you're still able to find some relatively unpressured, you know, opportunities on public ground. Yeah. But 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 you know, you certainly it's probably not as many as it was back in the day. That's for sure. No, I agree. I mean, I, nothing's an absolute. I mean, there's always exceptions to every rule, and there there still are some places where you can beat the system. Uh, they're not necessarily secret. I don't go anywhere anymore. You know, I used to have places in the old days that I, I could elk hunt, kill huge bulls for half dozen years, a decade, and maybe never see another bow hunter in that entire time. That sounds amazing, but it's true. Nowadays, you know, I go to places that I just run across occasional guys, and I consider that about as unknown a resource. But yeah, you're correct. You know, there's places that are a little bit off the beaten path, and that's what I am uh, striving for in my older age is to go to those type of places. The the animal resource may not be as top end, but I've evolved to the point to where my bow hunts now really and truthfully are more about peace and quiet and wide open spaces and exploring. I get more fun out of exploring new dirt than I do the hunting itself. Uh, the hunting is anticlimactic to me. I, you know, like I go elk hunting now in a new spot. I may spend two weeks exploring, and out of those two weeks, I may only take a bow and go hunt elk three days. Uh, yeah, that's that's because you usually elk. kill your elk on the first day that you take the bow. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I will put it this way. Used to, I tried to run them down with PF flyers and a hunting knife. That's kind of the way you did it when you were young. It was all back and brawn and legs, and now you – I do pick and choose my battles a lot more carefully and I try to make, you know, certain that my percentages are much higher when I do go to the woods to harvest. And, uh, I do come out of the game with a lot less hunting time, a lot more exploring time and just as much dead stuff. So, yeah, that is uh, kind of the, that's kind of the classic Eddie Claypool hunting feature in recent years in a nutshell, isn't it? It's a, it's a story about you and Peggy and Lulu uh, Lulu's Eddie's dog. For those of you who don't know, yeah. and she's she's clearly one of the the smartest member of the crew. And uh, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> yeah, she definitely. Is. <laughs> yeah. And so so Peggy and Eddie and Lulu they they load up and they they get the camper and they go and and you guys make. Uh, make your camp and do your exploring like you say and and you might spend a couple of weeks before the season starts you know scouting and hanging stands or right. setting blinds and and then typically the way that these stories tend to go because uh, i i know because i've read them uh every one of them is eddie goes out on opening day and not always i know there's been some tough ones particularly on those coos deer out, out there in arizona but on a lot of times right. it seems like eddie gets out there on opening day and by about 11 o'clock in the morning he's standing over a couple of gobblers or a, or a nice whitetail and, and he's thinking man peggy and lulu aren't going to believe this but as i'm reading him writing that i'm thinking well of course they're going to believe it this happens over and over again <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, that's good though because I still do stand amazed at the way things go. Um, you know, life is a non-ending learning process, and as you get older, you still are learning uh, the changing of it completely. That's the thing. And you know, I am so much more successful, so much quicker nowadays. That, but I don't let that become new or um, standard fare. It still, it still amazes me because. Um, I just, I mean, I look back 20 years ago and I would hunt my guts out, you know, all day, every day during whitetail season, sometimes for a month to kill a good buck. And now, you know, like you said, sometimes I set it, things up and make a str strategic strike and I might kill my buck in Kansas or Nebraska or Oklahoma, maybe in, in two or three days of hunting sometimes. But that's okay. I, I, I do feel a little deprived 
uh, sometimes on my hunting time, but I make up for it with the exploratory, and and it's really a good formula because when you spend way more time scouting than you do hunting, you will always have good hunting at your fingertips. In the old days, I spent all my time hunting and never did really have new resources at my fingertips because I didn't go out and find them. <laughs> yeah, so that, that kind of brings me right to the question I was going to ask you because – yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna say everyone will want to know. Well, what's your secret now for being so successful yeah. or, or so efficient, if you will? I, I would say that's what yeah. it is. It's you know actually you know it would be cool. You know how golfers have handicaps, Eddie, and so right. you know if you you know if I <laughs> if I if I'm an 18 handicap, that means I'm basically shooting one over par on every hole, right? And and so if gotcha. you're a scratch golfer, you're you're a par, basically a par golfer. I think it would be awesome right. if if we would form an or organization to make a, a handicaps for bow hunters, and everybody <laughs> everybody would have an efficiency rating. And what it would be based yep. on, it would be based on the number of hours that you need to spend in the field for every tag that you punch. So so the okay. lower the lower your efficiency rating like if you were a five you know you that means that you were harvest you were harvesting one animal for every five hours you know spent in the field or something like that that would be like tremendous yeah. you know but the average bow yeah. hunter is probably like a like a 200 you know what i mean because that guy has to he yeah. has to spend like 20 days in a tree stand for every animal that he harvests you know it would be really cool yeah. if we, so yeah. so i think eddie's probably one of the efficiency leaders in bow hunting today because nobody punches more tags on a unit basis of hours per effort than eddie claypool does well i i i'm blessed there ain't no doubt about it and I, the main blessing i have is the ability to get out and go to many different places each year and spend the time to explore them and keep myself in fresh bow hunting opportunity. And, you know, I mean, I look back to when I first started hunting whitetails. I had one of the best places in the state of Oklahoma to hunt whitetails back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I would go to that spot starting October 1 when our bow season opened, and I would walk away from it on December 31st when it closed. And during those 90-some days, I would often be in a tree stand 80 to 85 of those 90 some days and out of those 80 80 to 85 days i'd set daylight till dark say 50 of them and i would do that some years and come out of there without a mature buck you know so i've, I've kind of evolved you know from one end of the spectrum back in the early formative days to where now yeah my bow hunting time's pretty efficient but that's good because as you get older, you don't have the wherewithal to beat your brains out anymore on it, and uh, it, it, you want to, you do want to skim the cream off the top. So you mentioned scouting. Uh, uh, what wh is that the biggest key? Do you think to your efficiency now? Uh, what other what well, other advice can you offer young bow hunters who are wanting to reach the heights that Eddie Claypool occupies? Well, I'll tell you something, and this is going to be, I don't know if it's, it's something that people can grasp. I don't even actually know how to present it exactly, but I have people that know me intimately and have for a long time, and I've, I've come to grips with this. I didn't like to face it for years because it sounded arrogant, but here's the deal. I can just go out and just roam around the country for a while, and I develop what I call a feel. Uh, I don't know how, even know how to put it in words, but I, I guess from all those years of tens of thousands of hours after being a biologist, you might say, on my own and studying the, not only the animal, but the country they live in. But I go to new places now and just roam around and look at the big picture and then I, I, all of a sudden, boom, I'll have a feel for which areas in that country are the ones to focus on. And then I'll go hit them a little bit roaming around hiking, ATVN, uh, doing my little bit of looking. I don't even call it scouting per se. I'm just looking at the lay of the land and how the, I, I have a feel for how the animals used the lay of the land and things. And uh, that is invaluable. Uh, I don't know if these young people are getting that or not because there's only one way to get it. And it's just a tremendous amount of time out in the woods. And uh, so 
maybe that is a little frustrating to some of them, but they have a lot of other shortcuts to get there quicker. But that feel for the animal and feel for the lay of the land and how they interact with it, to me, is the greatest scouting tool available because, you know, you can look at little pieces of the puzzle, like you can look at a trail, you can look at a food source, you can look at a bedding area. They're all nothing more than one little cog in the wheel. But when you can back up and look at that whole wheel and see all the teeth on it, you know, see which ones stick out farther, which ones are chipped off a little, and you look at that picture and you go, oh, okay, now I see what they're doing, you know, and all I got to do is do this, you know. Um, that's yeah. kind of what people have t- told me that I, that I have as a feel for the game, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's arrogant at all. And, um, you know, I, I think like anything else that there will, if you take – you know, if you take a hundred a hundred bow hunters at random, there will be right. there will certainly be different aptitudes for that. I think that yes, just like anything, just like some people are better bow shots than others, there are going to be some right, people right. that have a natural inclination to being able to do that better than than some other folks. But at the same time. You can also make up for that deficiency through additional effort and hard work. So, you know, just as some yeah. of the great, yeah. the greatest professional athletes in history, you know, were not necessarily the most physically gifted, but they overcame right. that with with an extreme dedication to their craft. And you know, that's it right there. That's it. That's exactly. That's all it's fed me through my life is just the passion. Uh, passion will make up for ability. Uh, it will it will bridge the gap. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And but like yep. you said, it, it comes with time in the field as well. And, you know, that's one of the things as you progress as a bow hunter, too. You know, I can just share a little bit from my own bow hunting life. And, and I think you'll relate to this and right. hopefully the listeners will. You know, when you first get started. You really uh-huh. don't. You really don't have too much of a clue about anything, right? Because everything is new, and every literally yeah, every yeah. every every single hunt or every single time you take a, a a hike into the woods, you're learning so much because you literally know right. almost nothing. And so, as right. you have, if you have some successes early on, you know sometimes maybe even more by luck than skill. But you're learning as you go, and and a lot of times, I think you you and I would agree. We learn more from our failures than we do from our successes oftentimes. And, and so the early, the early struggles that we have, you know, uh, sort of spur, right. us, spur us on to better, better things. And then, right. and then as we gain a little bit, for me, you know, I can remember the years, uh, you know, relatively early in my bow hunting where I started to feel like this. And I would actually tell myself this. I'd verbalize this to myself over right. and o- over and over again in my mind. Um, you're, right. a, you're a good hunter, but you're not a very good killer. And what I was basically telling <laughs> myself, what I was telling myself was, is I was, I was getting to the point where I was now becoming pretty good at consistently providing myself with opportunities to harvest game, but I, right. but I, but I wasn't getting the job done. And so, oh, so yeah. there, yeah. so there, there, I had progressed from basically knowing nothing to starting to figure out some things, but not being able to seal the deal. And then the next, and then the next, you know, piece that come along after that was sort of a lot of the mental game side of it, and uh, that yeah. and that anticipation. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing, Eddie, to say, yeah. you know, well, you wrote an article about this recently about tree stand selection. You did. Uh, last right. fall and you know it's one thing to pick a general spot in your hunting area where you know that deer are coming through but then it's another thing right now now it's fine-tuning to the perfect tree and exactly where to right. hang your stand in that tree and how much cover do you need how much do you need to trim how many shooting lanes do you need when do you draw as the animal is approaching do you bleat to right. stop them or do you let them just keep walking and man there's so many things and, and, and so now you've got to develop that part of your game and it takes time 
Yep. And and then eventually, you know, yep. but I and every time you accumulate a success, it, it almost becomes things are happening and the processing is occurring without even thinking about it to the point that you become. Right. And again, this isn't arrogant because I don't put myself, you know, necessarily on your level, but at the same time. Compared to the average bow hunter, and again, I don't think this is arrogant. Right. I, I'm a very efficient right. killer compared to the average yep. bow hunter because I've killed oh, more. Uh, yeah. I've killed more, and as you kill, I mean, this sounds almost dispassionate, like like I'm belittling killing. No. But as you kill, no, I, you but be, you become a yeah. more lethal killer. You know, right, right, yeah, yeah. I tell you. I, I had the bloodlust for so many years when I finally got to that stage that I think I was probably, you know, um, a little cold hearted, but you know, the stages of maturing as a bow hunter, outdoorsman and human being never stop. I don't think, even though I'm 61, I think it's going to go on till whenever I die. I don't think I'm going to hit a plateau and stop. And, you know, and I'm at the point now in my bow hunting life to where, the killing part of it is starting to really take its toll on me. I, I never, ever thought I could get to this point, but I'm getting a little brokenhearted about some of this stuff, and uh, it worries me because I want to gather my meat, and I believe in harvesting you know, your own food if you want, but I'm worried that if I'm going to continue doing it forever or if I will just become a nature observer one day, <laughs> Well, they say that that's kind of part of the natural progression when you get to that sportsman stage and you're more concerned about the experience and, you know, giving back to the resource and giving back to others and, you know, to kind of tie it together with what, you know, I was just saying. You know, we talked about how all these things, you know, the ability to, to sort of understand the lay of the land and, and read the sign right. and set yourself up and, and then, you know, actually perform there in the moment of truth. As I said, as you learn those things, you almost learn without realizing how much you're learning. And then you become right. efficient. Right. And what really brings, you know, and you've done this I know, and, and I've done this with my own kids here in recent years. When you want to know how far you've come, take a new hunter out, whether it's one of your kids, right. another another kid from the neighborhood, just a guy from work yep. or, or a, a girl from work who's a friend of yours. Introduce somebody right. new new to bow hunting and get them in a tree with you or get them on a stalk with you and think about how many little things that you would be doing without even thinking about it that you literally have yep. to verbalize and coach them through. So like, you know, literally like when to stand up, when to pivot your body, when to draw your bow. And <laughs> and if you, you can take a new bow hunter and put them in your yep. best stand during the peak of the rut and have like three mature bucks come by and they won't kill one of them because they never anticipated <laughs> the opportunity. And it's not, I don't, it hey, is. Listen, <laughs> listen, I, I live with that daily. And when, when Blondie finds out about this, she's going to kill me. But uh, I get to experience that daily. I'm, I've been going through about 18 year uh, zone of that and uh i finally i mean i don't even try to help other than just put a warm body in the place now and let blondie do her own thing but she's she's not matured out of that beginning stage yet she's liable to throw her bow out of the tree and strip strip off and run screaming through the woods when she sees something big you know i mean she is a hoot i'm telling you and it can be really frustrating at times but i've got past it so yeah i know what you're saying you get to see other bow hunters that are still at the beginning stages and you're like i was there i don't really remember it it's hard but you were i was i was there for quite a few years before i ever got to where i could accomplish anything and uh but yeah i live with one of them right now that keeps me laughing continually i could tell you some good ones she just shot it two bucks last week from less than 15 yards and didn't draw a hair on either one of them <laughs> well it does. It does happen, you know, but and so but here's yeah. the question, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I'm not going to laugh about it. I don't want to get in trouble with Peggy. Yeah. The, the question is, you know, the question is, right, what is what is she going to do about it? 
You know, like, yeah. like, well, like, is that, she that, is she serious enough to now come in the spring and say, now I have to spend all this spring and summer developing a shot routine and thinking about my mental game and focusing so much on the process of my shot that I don't even think about those antlers and I don't even think about whether it's a big buck because I'm totally ingraining this process in my mind that I'm just going to go through drawing my bow and anchoring and making sure that my pins where it need to be and I'm going to pull through that shot and the arrow is going to go where it needs to go and then after I've made that shot and the animal runs off now I can let all that adrenaline take my body over and fall to pieces but I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it before I make the shot, I'm going to do it after I make the shot because now I'm going to be successful, <laughs> yep. right? Well, I, I've been preaching that line of thinking to her for 18 years and it ain't sunk in yet because she, uh, she has no brain thought process when a large animal shows up. It goes straight line activity and uh, I'm telling you, I've never seen anything quite like it. It's a, it's a hoot. I've got some stuff on video. People would run in circles on their side laughing feeling out laughing at her uh she'd kill me if she knew i was telling this stuff but uh yeah i and i've got the other end of the spectrum to deal with and i've just learned to come to grips with enjoying it and let her uh let her just fling her arrows and go retrieve them and fling another quiver full you know <laughs> well she obviously knows how to do it because i've seen her kill some pretty good stuff too yeah she stands out in the backyard all day long and shoots very great but when it comes to a hunting situation the old buck fever the minute that takes hold of her <laughs> well we we all we all are on our journey as you said you know we're all we can, are we, are. we all yep. can strive for improvement and uh yep. i'll tell you what i'd like to uh i'd like to kind of pivot here and and um yeah kind of get your take on um, where you see uh, bow hunting and the bow hunting community headed as you look into the future. You've got enough history, and we've discussed that, uh, you know, fairly at length here yeah. in, in today's show. Right. What do you see for the future? You know, people, um, not even your age really, but even older than, than, than you, Eddie, you know, if you talk to people like in their eighties right. and my dad's 84 right. and you know what it's like when people get into their eighties and nineties, they get that old person saying, they're like, Oh, I'm glad I'm on my way out the door because everything's so bad. You people are going to have to deal with all the problems, you know? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not quite yeah. old enough to be that crotchety, but, but, um, yeah. What do you see? Uh, where is it all going, you know, in, in, in your mind? Well, I think it's just going to be a product of the advancement or evolution of mankind in general. Hunt, hunting's going to follow that. Hunting's kind of a mirror of your life anyway, and it'll, it'll, it'll mirror civilization. It's becoming a more, much more managed, much more controlled, much more um, known and understood and a you know resource back in my day uh it was wide open i mean it was just a wide open field uh the game and fish departments didn't micromanage everything they kind of managed on a broad spectrum the opportunity was way more abundant and available and uh, now you know the regs are you know 100 pages thick and you know, and then on top of that, man himself, you know, the bow hunter himself has evolved so much compared to where I was at in my prime to where now people are starting out at an incredibly much higher uh, level than what we started out at. The, that bottom part of the learning curve is about gone. I mean, you can start and crossbows, too, are changing things. You know, crossbows are in the archery seasons now. That's changing things. Um it is evolving. It is changing. And th though I'm not like, you know, the old crotchy old 80 year old, I will admit that to people, you know, my age, you know, I don't see a lot of positives. Um, but that's just because I know the way it used to be. You've heard that old line, the way it used to be. Well, it won't be bad for the future for the new ones 
because they're not going to know the way it used to be. So they won't be pining over what's gone. Um, I think bow hunting is going to survive and prosper and do fine. It'll just be a much more controlled and refined resource in the future. It'll be like over in Europe, huh, where everything's done within a, a hunting club or something like that. Huh? You don't think that there's going to be opportunities for uh, you know, public land hunting and, and, and all that into the future? I almost, well, want, I almost wonder if... You know, the way society is nowadays and people, I mean, I see this with my own kids, you know, and you're, you're going to see this with your, right. with your granddaughter if you don't already. Kids are, kids are so right. plugged into technology and they spend so much time on screens and stuff that I don't think right. they spend near as much time outdoors as we did, you know, growing up. No, and if, the, no, and if that's yeah, the case, if that's the case. I almost wonder, like, now for me, you may just sort of miss it, but I may just sort of catch the beginning of it. I have a, a theory, you know, I don't know if if it'll come to uh-huh. fruition, but I think that so many of these younger folks are going to be not spending as much time outdoors as we did that when I'm 61, man, I might find that some of this public ground isn't, isn't hit that hard and i might actually end up in some good hunting because people just aren't going out there like they used to yeah no i i totally understand that and i believe that's very viable line of thinking i think you know the percentage of young people that's going to do it is less now will the actual numbers be less i don't know because at the same time that the percentage of people's going down the numbers of people overall is going up so you know the percentage of young people that bow hunt will probably be a lot less in a generation but if you have twice as many people in this country you see what i'm saying so um i mean the population just exploding you know and going up in america i'm pretty sure and i don't foresee it stopping i'm worried about you know what this government is going to do with our public lands because we've already seen some attacks on them and some lines of thinking where they want us Make them, you know, start off by giving them to the states, and then you know what will happen then. They'll become private, and uh, I hope you're correct. I hope the public lands become better and better uh, for the average bow hunter to get out in. But if that happens, you know, if bow hunting really numbers dwindle tremendously, I wonder what the game and fish departments are going to do. I mean, think yeah, about it. Yeah, well, and it's, ga- you know, how it's are the bad, ga- yeah, and it's bad. It's bad for the yeah. industry too. <clears throat> so it's bad for the right. the fish the fish and game indus- uh, agencies and the manufacturers as well. What what will be the stat the state of our of our industry as well? Because it's already been you know stressed the last yeah. few few years because our numbers are our numbers are really stagnant to slightly declining overall because you know you talk about population growing but actually really right now we're in a situation where there's more baby boomers than there are younger people because baby boomers were a huge bubble in the population so we've got more we have more eddie clay pools who are aging out of bow hunting than we have you know timmy bergs who's 14 coming yes. into coming into bow right. hunting so there's more older okay. guys retiring yeah. from the sport than we've got young people coming in and so that's our problem you know and we're fighting gotcha. we're fighting yeah. so many battles there i basically to me the smartphone is the battle uh, and then and then right. everything else is secondary to that to me that's the biggest obstacle you got to get these kids to put their screens down how's that for a grumpy old yeah. man rant these darn kids got to put their screens <laughs> down and get out in the woods i don't think that's grumpy i think that's common sense and uh you know i think that sometimes everything comes and goes in cycles and uh you know the hunting industry is cycling the uh outdoor you know the game and fish departments are cycling the bow hunting population we're all cycling up and down and uh who knows i mean um may i've often had the theory that the game and fish departments one day will just evolve into a branch of the national park service because hunting will go away somehow one day and yet 
they'll just turn them all into National Park Service and the whole public lands will just be national parks and they'll go around and manage them like a park ranger. I don't know. That's all Star Trek sci-fi theories, but I guarantee you one thing's for certain. Things will change. Nothing stays the same. Well, we we need to head towards wrapping this up, but before we do, I'd like to do yep. one more one more quick segment where I just want to hit you okay. with a few rapid yep. fire questions, and I want to give okay. gi- have you give me your quick answer, okay? Um, okay. Biggest, I'll give you quick biggest, biggest, uh, biggest gear uh, advancement that has changed your bow hunting. Oh my, um, probably trail cameras. Biggest change in bows over your time and how that's affected your bow hunting? Bows have evolved massively, become much more efficient, quiet, pleasant, and manageable. But overall, I look back 30 years, I don't shoot a whole lot better than I did then. I am not a good bow shooter. I'm a hunter. Bows are better but I'm not capable of getting out of them what they are capable of giving me. So your effective range for hunting is about the same, you'd say? I think it's gained 10 yards in the past 30 years. What's the farthest yep. you've ever, what's the farthest shot you've ever taken to kill an animal? Uh, ridiculously, I shot one at 76 yards one time. I, I don't have a pin, a sight pin on my bow over 60 yards. 60 yards as far as I want to even consider shooting. What was that, a pronghorn or a mule deer? Yeah, it was a pronghorn and uh, I ranged it to the half yard with my range finder. Had been practicing at 70 and 75 in my yard, knew just about exactly how far the drop would be and got extremely lucky. There shouldn't be a lot of luck in a shot. If you feel like you're going to have to get lucky to make a kill, that should be a warning. And we all do it at times. We get desperate, and we'll take a hope shot, I call it. Well, that was a hope shot, and and luckily I I, I killed that thing as dead as one can be killed. I dead-centered them. If you could only hunt one species of animal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, White-tailed deer. If you could bow hunt with anybody in the history of bow hunting for one week, alive or dead, who would it be? Chuck Adams. He's still alive. You better call old Chuck and set something up. Well, yeah, that would be great, but I'm too intimidated by Chuck to bother him. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I can help you make a connection. Um... (laughs) What's the one bow hunt that you've never done that you really want to do before you're finished? Probably a bighorn sheep. I have not got to pursue them and had a kind of a lifelong dream as them being one of my more exotic type hunts. Mechanical or fixed blade broadheads? 100.1% fixed blade. Okay, I got to have you expand on that. Give me 30 seconds on why. Okay. Uh, mechanicals work probably 90, 95, 99% of the time. Why would you ever shoot anything that has some degree of malfunction to it? Total counterproductiveness. Fixed blades don't malfunction. They accomplish anything that a f- expandable can and more. And... Uh, if you're shooting mechanical, so you, you want to shoot 100 yards, then you're out of my league anyway. Go do your thing and do whatever you want. What's the best snack to have in the field? Oh, anything sweet. I'm a I'm a sweetaholic. I that's my transfusion is chocolate and <laughs> I'm not a real health food nut. Probably going to kill me off here one of these days. But give me just give me a Snickers bar and I can live for a week. What's the best game meat that you ever had? Unrutting pronghorn and uh, moose, close, close together, moose and unrutting pronghorn. What's your favorite recipe for preparing wild game? Just plain on the grill. I like tenderloins and backstraps grilled to perfection and uh, nothing fancy. I don't do a lot of 
brining or glazing or nothing. I just like a good grilled steak. Well, I think that's where we end it because yeah. it's safe. It's safe to say that Eddie Claypool is a meat and potatoes man, if ever there was one. That's me, meat and potatoes. Yep, I, I live on them. That's it, you know, just, I mean, in everything, right? I mean, not just what's on your plate, literally, but Eddie Claypool's as real as they come. He's nothing fancy, nothing pretentious. He is who he is. And in my book, Eddie, that's pretty dang good. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, a bow hunter really doesn't care for anything more than just some respect from his fellow peers and I appreciate that. I hope that people, when I'm gone one day, can say that's exactly what I was, down there, straight shooter, uh, meat and potatoes bow hunter, and lived it and tried to treat people right and wasn't in it for financial or ego gain. Well, I certainly appreciate everything that you do here for Peterson's Bow Hunting. I know that our readers and our listeners uh do as well and i wish you the continued best of success for you and peggy and lulu as you go on your adventures and as i always tell you please give lulu a pat on the head for me and since we happen to be recording this episode on the 18th of december it's one week until christmas eddie so i'm actually going to wish you and the whole claypool clan a very merry christmas as well that goes to everybody god bless america and and uh thank god we we can share a passion called bow hunting thank you for listening to peterson's bow hunting radio the official podcast of hardcore bow hunters pick up the latest issue of peterson's bow hunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com 